Hello, listening people. Hello. I'm Ryan. I'm Bartek. And we are from the Spit and Polish Presents podcast. Bartek, what kind of podcast is that? We talk about film. Films? Films. Films, Ryan? Films, Ryan. Films by me, Ryan Slowinski. <laughs> One film per episode in three different formats. Exactly right, Bartek. And we're the only podcast that happens to be spitting and being Polish while we do it. We discuss the movies that few dare to discuss. You can find us on all of the social medias. Except for Instagram ins- and MySpace. Except and for Instagram and the unused MindSpace. MindSpace, MySpace. <laughs> we are on Minecraft, though. <laughs> We're not, but I think my brother is. <laughs> Basically, any platform in which you can find a podcast, Spit and Polish Presents, you'll find us. You know, George, the ocean called. They're running out of shrimp. <laughs> oh, yeah, Riley? <laughs> well, the jerk store called. They're running out of you. What's the difference? You're their all-time bestseller! But I don't want to be a secondary character. Another game for Ivan. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Steven's a baby. Baby can't hit the ball. (laughs) A stereotype office called and they're running out of shit accents. Pretty much, yeah. I'm not Eastern European, unfortunately. (laughs) Welcome to another episode of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. This is a podcast about the sitcom Seinfeld and every week we grab an episode at random and discuss its wonderful secondary characters. My name is Ivan. And I'm Steven. And this week we are going to Season 8, Episode 13. We're talking about one of my favourite Season 8 episodes and the comeback. And very memorable episode for me. For sure. Yeah. Good episode. Very good episode. Excellent secondary characters and uh, one of probably George's best subplots in the entire series. Definitely. It's it's George at his absolutely most neurotic, which I find wonderful. I love when George is completely insane and he really, Jason really goes all out in this episode. He flies to another state. He, he goes, to- what, what, what actors describe as the third circle. Yeah. So the extroverted area, the really big theatrical style. Yeah. I love how he just goes all out. He does. It's wonderful. What does Jerry say? He's like, you know, you're flying to, you know, Iowa to... Give a guy a zinger? Oh, Akron, Ohio. Akron, yeah. He's like, you're flying to Ohio to give a guy a zinger? Give a guy a zinger. (laughs) That that perfectly encapsulates George's insanity in one sentence. That's absolutely, yes. And, uh, yeah, you can find us on social media at B-I-D-W-B-A-S-C. You can email us if you want, bidwabaskapodcast at gmail.com if you want to say hello or if you've got an episode in mind that you want us to discuss uh, uh, the secondary characters about, let us know. We'd uh, really appreciate it. And uh, whether it is your first time listening to us or you've been with us since day one or anything in between thank you and uh, welcome hope you enjoy your stay indeed yeah uh, alright let's kick it off as normal Seinfeldisms do you have any no none this week second oh. week in a row yeah we that's right well we are recording two episodes back to back so so nothing <laughs> happened in the five minute break we took that's right no the only thing we did was we talked about your Facebook page Seinfeldisms I guess we'll just give that another plug that's true so Seinfeldisms is a Facebook page uh, that Stephen set up and it's already what as of recording one and a half thousand members strong yeah, yeah. I think a bit over one and a half thousand thereabouts yeah so if you want to get in uh, get in amongst it and have some fun with Seinfeld fans all over the world just type in Seinfeldisms on Facebook yes there's all the memes uh, more, traditionally it was about Seinfeldisms but if you have any memes or quotes or anything you want to anything bring Seinfeld up, related yep. bring it along sign up yes indeed sign up uh, sign up whatever you know, <laughs> whatever your heartfelt desire 
wants you to do. That's right. Sign up. <laughs> sign up. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Whatever you want to do. Did you, get, did you get the two Seinfeld puns in there? Yeah. Your heart felled. Your heart felled. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good sign. It's a good sign that this is going to be a good episode, but I'll make a nice comeback and uh, let's talk about some Seinfeld news, Stephen. How many do you have this week? Uh, again, like last week, just one. Uh, Jerry, uh, over the last year or two, has been touring sporadically, so he'll do like a weekend here or a date there um, in the US and uh, sometimes abroad, but uh, he's actually announced a quite an extensive tour of the US, so... Um, he'll be doing about 40 dates from August to December, uh, and he'll be doing at least one show in most major U.S. cities. Um, and mm-hmm. in some cities like L.A., uh, I think in Seattle and New York as well, in Chicago, he's doing multiple dates. So if you just head to his website, I think it's jerryseinfeld.com, you can check out the dates. And if you are lucky enough to be in the U.S. on any of those dates, uh, head along. Excellent. Very good. And That's that, all the Seinfeld news for the week. Yeah, excellent. Well, we only had two pieces for today, yeah. <laughs> for last week's and this week's episode. There it. you go. Let's just get straight into the plot, shall we? So... I was going to say, sounds good. Sounds good, yes. Let's make a good comeback. It is The Comeback, Season 8, Episode 13. Uh, First aired in the US on January 30th, 1997. Directed by David Owen Trainer, so not Andy Ackerman, something different. And uh, written by Greg Cavett and Andy Robin. Now, this plot is quite dense. There's actually four major storylines for all four characters. So I reckon we'll just read uh, George's storyline and Jerry's first. And maybe we'll have a quick break and uh, come back and read the other two, I think, because they're pretty dense. Sounds so good. I don't want to read for 20 minutes. You'll all get pretty sick of me, sick of my voice. Uh, so George's subplot. So George has a conflict with one of his co-workers at the New York Yankees named Riley, played by Joel Polis. When Riley notices George stuffing himself with shrimp cocktail at a meeting, he remarks, Hey, George, the ocean call. They're running out of shrimp. Slow-witted George cannot think of a comeback until later while driving to the tennis club to meet Jerry. Ah, oh, I should have said it. That's the line. Damn it. (laughs) Uh, And his comeback is, well, the jerk store called. They're running out of you. George becomes obsessed with recreating the encounter so he can make use of his comeback. Jerry, Elaine and Kramer all disapprove of the line, mainly because there are no jerk stores. Elaine suggests your cranium cord, it's got some space to rent. <laughs> and Jerry says the zoo cord, you're due back by six. You're due back by six. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, I like both of those. I like those too. Uh, Kramer finally suggests that George simply told Riley that he had sex with his wife, which we find out later is uh, quite inappropriate for Riley's circumstances. <laughs> After discovering that Riley has changed jobs to Firestone in Akron, Ohio, George flies there to attend the meeting. And do you notice, Stephen, that it's the same set as the Yankees, but they changed the symbol of the Yankees to Firestone? Oh, yeah. It's the exact same set. I love well, they it. They do reuse a lot of sets. <laughs> they do. I just love it. I think it's perfect. It kind of sum- summarizes like a boardroom. Yeah. It's just like that mahogany. Just that, that kind corporate drag. Yeah, the wooden walls and yeah. stuff. Yeah, that drag. Yeah. <laughs> Um, George brings a tray of shrimp just to try out the jerk store line. And he, I love how he absolutely smashes the shrimp. Let's see how many I can fit in my mouth. <laughs> and he puts like 10 of them in his mouth. And then Riley shoots back with the uh, same line, you know, the ocean line. And I love how George wipes his mouth. He gets up and he says the jerk store line. And uh, Riley, being very quick-witted, he says, well, what's the difference? You're the all-time bestseller. George backs down and he's fumbling for words. And he says the line, well, I had sex with your wife. And he's told that Riley's wife is in a coma, which relates to Kramer's subplot. I love how that was just that was just perfectly written. Yeah, uh, that's great writing, tying in a coma from Kramer's subplot into George's. Yeah, it just worked. It's just perfect. During the end credits, George is seen driving away from the airport back in New York, muttering to himself that he could not think of another comeback when he utters the life support machine called. <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, in an ecstatic fit, uh, whips his car into a U-turn and goes back to the airport to fly back. And he says, "Your meat, Riley. You just screwed yourself." So that's uh, George's plot. So dense, eh? So convoluted. Indeed. Jerry's plot. So Jerry meets George at a private tennis club to play tennis. He goes to the pro shop where he is pressured into buying a brand new racket by the worker there, an Eastern European man named Milos, played by Mark Harrelick. Uh, Later, while playing at a different club with Elaine, Jerry discovers that Milos is a horrible tennis player. In Jerry's eyes, this undermines Milos's credibility as a salesman. When Jerry confronts him at the pro shop, he offers to do anything in exchange for Jerry not revealing his secret. Jerry implies that if Milos sets him up with an attractive woman that they see in the shop, he'll be silent. Later, Jerry runs into the woman named Paddy, played by Ivana Malechevic, uh, waiting for him outside his apartment. She initially comes on strong, but recoils in shame after revealing that she is Milos's wife and was instructed to come on to Jerry by her husband. Your husband? The incident makes her lose respect for Milos. In a new deal, Milos wants Jerry to let him win a game of tennis to regain Paddy's respect. During the game, Milos becomes boastful and gloating, and after winning another game against Jerry, he exclaims, Another game for Milos! Frustrated at his taunts, Jerry begins to play harder. He hits a ball wide of Milos, who swings wildly at it, releasing his racket into the air, which finally comes down on another tennis player, who falls on a ball machine, redirecting its aim to Kramer's head. And that links to Kramer's subplot, but there's so much here, I reckon we'll have a quick break, and uh, we'll talk about Kramer's subplot and Elaine's. Sounds good. This is the comeback. We'll be back. We're back and we are talking about the comeback from season eight. And I did mention, because uh, there's three major, or four major plots in this episode, I did talk about Jerry's and George's, but I'll just, I went too long on those, I think. I think I'll just summarize Kramer and Elaine. So Kramer's subplot, he rents a movie, The Other Side of Darkness, about a woman who's in a coma. This prompts him to write a living will. He goes to his lawyer. He can't go to Jackie Charles because he's got a restraining order on he him. can't come within 200 feet of the building. That's right. Um... He decides that Elaine should be his executor because Jerry doesn't want to. Uh, Kramer finishes watching the movie after, you know, five hours, whatever the movie is. Elaine's like, how long do you have left? Oh, two hours. Um, and the woman miraculously comes out of the coma and he decides to get his living will annulled but he misses his appointment and uh, he catches up with his lawyer Shell back at the tennis club and uh, the sequence of events like I mentioned in Jerry's subplot happens and uh, he gets hit with tennis balls and ends up in hospital and uh, Lane pulls what appears to be his life support machine but it's not and uh because he wants to, uh, what is it, watch a video, wasn't it? Yeah. He's got a VCR, yeah. And uh, Kramer ends up uh, thinking that he, she's pulling the plug and uh, Kramer freaks out in the end. <laughs> yes. So anyway, that's much shorter than the other two that I wrote. Uh, and Elaine's subplot, uh, she runs into uh, Kramer at the Champagne Video Store uh, and he recommends, or she likes Vincent's picks. Vincent's a very dark, you know, he likes art house films and that sort of stuff more than Gene, who's more of a mainstream comedy kind of guy. Gene's and, trash. I'm trash. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm Gene. I'm Gene. <laughs> um, and yeah, and then Vincent finds out that Elaine's renting his movies and Vincent and Elaine flirt on the phone. And uh, yeah, Elaine tries watching a Gene pick, as they call it, and uh, Vincent's not happy with it. And then to atone, she uh, goes to see Vincent, who turns out to be a 15-year-old boy. Yep. And his mother scolds her for it. So there you go. 
masturbating in his basement. <laughs> That's right. Another <laughs> creep. And uh, we'd like to point out that in our couch episode, we theorized that Patton Oswalt's character was Gene, and a lot of viewers said, no, Gene was actually in the comeback. Yep. So sorry about that. <laughs> oh. It was fun while well, last. But anyway, that was, uh, I guess, a summary of Kramer and Elaine's plots for the comeback. One of the densest plots you've done. Indeed. Other episodes or other secondary characters, I should say, include uh, Charles Carlenberg as Fred, Stan Sellers as McAdam, Fatima Lowe, she plays Shellback's secretary, Richard Livingston plays Bill, and uh, and, and I couldn't find a credit, but the guy who played Gene, don't know his name. I couldn't find any credits for Gene. Patton Oswalt. <laughs> yes, an older, thinner version of him. Yeah. Now, I've spoken too much, Steve, and I think people have had enough of my voice, so uh, how about you give us a couple of bits of trivia you got for the episode? Uh, uh, so I've only got one. It's quite a longer one, so it does contain a few different things. But Good. It's... You can have a chat. You can talk for a bit while <laughs> yeah, I can take rest a my throat. Yeah, thank yep. you. Uh, so a lot of this uh, episode is filmed at a tennis court, and for the filming of it, there were quite a few dramas, so... Uh, they were filming in Los Angeles, but they couldn't find a, uh, an available indoor court um, uh, that was big enough. So what they did, they got a c- massive crane to uh, drape a large tent over an outdoor ca- tennis court that they found to make it look like an indoor tennis court. Um, at the time of filming, though, there was a massive El Nino happening, and uh, it resulted in a lot of heavy rain in LA, and uh, a lot of the rain fell on the tent, and it actually collapsed into the indoor court. So uh, when they were filming like the master shots or the the final scenes for the for the actual episode, yeah, they just used a half like if you and you when you watch it with this in mind, you can see it like it's 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 well edited and shot and it makes you think it's on a full tennis court, but they just used a half half uh, tennis court. Yeah, yeah. So you know they'd film all of Jerry's shots and then film all of Milosh's shots and then Shellbacks and you know everyone else who was playing tennis. And then they just edit it together so it just looked like that it was going back and forth on a full tennis court. Yeah, because they were worried that the whole thing would collapse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. Yeah, so the rain started, uh, yeah, putting some weight on the on the tent that they draped over the, the indoor court. 500,000 pounds of rainwater. Wow. Crazy. Wow. I didn't actually have that number, but yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. huge. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, quite a few little bits and pieces in that longer trivia point. Do you have any? Uh, yeah, uh, well, Kramer said that he doesn't know that it was possible to wake up from a coma, but it's a bit of a continuity error because... In season three's The Suicide, which we've done an episode of, uh, Jerry's neighbour Martin goes into a coma and when he wakes up, Kramer's in the hospital with him. Oh, yeah. So, you know, he thinks that once people are in comas, that's it, but... I like how Jerry goes, I didn't know it was possible not to know that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, it's, it's kind of weird because Kramer was there when Martin woke up and was strangling Jerry. So, you know. Yeah, no, uh, normally Seinfeld's really good with continuity, mm. but occasionally we point out a little foible and yeah. this is just one of them. There you go, yeah. And, um, yeah, that's all I have. That's, that's all it. my trivia. Yeah, anyway, geez, enough about all that kind of stuff. I reckon let's make a good comeback and let's do what we do best, Stephen. Let's talk about some secondary characters, eh? Yep, <laughs> You were just looking through your notes. All right, let's start with Milos, hey, the main guy, uh, played by American actor Mark Harrelick. He's known for the TV shows Preacher, Scandal, and The Big Bang Theory. I love Milos. He's one of my favourite one-off characters. I loved him before we did this podcast, and he is incredibly memorable for me. Um, yeah, he's just really hilarious. He's very well acted by Mark. He's good. He's really good. And uh, he actually, yeah, he, he kind of reminds me of, well, of Novak Djokovic. Because I think that, um, you know, because Novak Djokovic is from Serbia. Mm-hmm. And I think Milos, I would say, well, he's Eastern European. I'll probably say he's more Serbian. You well, know, I, I probably I say the, the Baltic, the Balkans or Baltic Slavic area. countries. Slavic countries, yeah. I yeah. think it's Slavic, yeah. Yeah, I looked up the origins of the name Milos. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a name used in uh, lots of different locations, but... 
I think it's most common uses in Serbia or a lot of yep. former Yugoslavian countries like Croatia, Serbia, Yugoslavia, Montenegro. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah so I'm going to say he's Serbian. Yeah. Um, he's like proto Novak Djokovic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jo- I don't follow tennis, but is Djokovic, has he got a bit of a temper? Uh, is he a bit? Is he a bit like John McEnroe? No, no, no. He's actually quite calm. He's got okay. a really, he's got a really good sense of humour. Nice demeanour. Okay, very friendly. I guy. must be thinking of someone else. Isn't there an Australian tennis player who's a bit of a oh, firebird? Oh, oh, that's just, the one. Just a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Occasionally, I hear something about him. Like, he, oh, I don't care. He's like the Happy Gilmore of tennis. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Is he really gifted but really angry? Yes. Ah, okay. I think he could easily be like a top five player really? if he really wanted to. But does his temper get in the way of him? Yeah. Uh, getting to that level. Yes. Right. He's just a really angry young guy. Okay. Does yeah. he ever, like, get fined and suspended and oh, stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah. All really? Yeah, definitely. Huh. So he goes off at umpires and lines oh, people and, and stuff? Oh, and rest. Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I've never, I, I knew he had a temper, but I don't know much about it. I'm sure on YouTube you'll find some compilation of things that he's done, because a lot of things are televised and recorded. I'm sure you can see... Curiosisms. Yeah, that's right. And his press conferences, he bags, like, people like Nadal and really? you know, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, he's got a bit of a beef with Rafael Nadal. Okay. Yeah, so it's just Does like... Rafael Nadal just go, whatever, like, I don't care. I'm oh, number probably, one, yeah. suck my dick. Well, Rafael, yeah, exactly. Suck my, suck my tennis racket, motherfucker. Exactly. Yeah, put this Wilson in you. Yeah. <laughs> or this head in you. Get a, <laughs> literal get a Wilson head. up, yeah. <laughs> or get a head in you, <laughs> the branded tennis rackets. Just, this conversation about, like, shitty tennis player behavior reminded me one time, uh, I didn't see it live, but I saw a... Um, you know, after it happened, when Pete Sampras was number one, like in the nineties and the early two thousands, yeah, he was always known for being a bit like arrogant. Like yeah, he was had yeah. quite a bit of a sort of a, demeanor about him. Yeah, like yeah, an arrogant yeah. demeanor. And there, you can probably still find it on YouTube. But he, uh, so whoever is playing, like hits the ball back, and Pete Sampras, um, like goes for some weird shot, and he slips over, and he falls back on his bum, and his legs are spread facing a uh, a ball person or like a lines person, and just by strange coincidence the ball that is returned to him actually goes up his shorts yeah, yeah. it's just one of those things where everything kind of just lines up and yeah. it results in this really comical situation a one in ten million shots yeah 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 million to one shot yeah like and, million to one. yeah and all, all Pete Sampras has to do is reach into his shorts and retrieve the ball but he genuinely asks the line person get the ball because yeah. you know that's their job to pick up the ball like Kramer you know <laughs> oh wrong ball <laughs> yeah but the ball the ball is basically like on the outside of his cock yeah yeah, you know, yeah. probably in his little like sport shorts the little package thing you know that <laughs> yeah. is a home to his boys that's right another Seinfeld related thing and the lines person I think she's a young woman or a young guy and he's just like no, nah. like he's like 15 or something exactly. and he's just like no nah. and Pete insists like you have to get this ball out of my shorts and the the lines person is just like no like I'm not reach I'm not touching your dick yeah like get it out of your own fucking it was just like unbelievably arrogant yeah, like yeah. oh man you watch it and it's just it's you think it's a joke you yeah. think he's joking but he's dead set serious maybe it's, he's he thinks that the ball's still in play maybe if he thought that it dropped like he dropped out of his shorts and then a double bounced. It's considered like a point. <laughs> I don't think so. The ball, would that still be in play? If the ball was in play, oh, I think he wants some other balls in play. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking pedophilic, arrogant prick. Oh, Jesus. Oh, it's just, it's just, it's, it's like, it's disgusting. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just the height of arrogance. Yeah, definitely. Really, really fucked up. He's a very decorated, esteemed, well regarded player. Yeah, but, not, yeah. not criticizing his tennis skills. I mean, he's one of the greats. And at the time, he was the greatest. Yeah. You know, he before, was. um, uh, who's Federer. That? Federer came along and, and beat his record. Yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, just like, just really really fucked up anyway yeah. but anyway unlike those people Milos has no talent no so he's a terrible tennis player I think one of two things probably happened I, well, one of my theories with Milos is I I think he probably inherited the store from his father maybe or maybe a relative I think maybe his father or a relative 
or maybe an uncle or something was probably a pro tennis player because um, there's a lot of talent that comes from Eastern Europe in terms of uh, tennis, like Russia, Serbia. There's a lot of good tennis players. And, I, and there was the era of... Um, What's his name? Ivan... Oh, jeez. Ivan Gulab? No. Oh, jeez. There was a Croatian tennis player as well. Oh, jeez. Name escapes me. Uh, Gorovic? No. Jeez, I forgot his name. There's No, there was an Australian Indigenous player named Ivan Gulagong. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, there was like a Croatian... It, I think okay. he was from Croatia or something, but he was like number one oh, okay. in the 80s and stuff. I forgot his name. I, it'll, I bet you once we finish recording, I'll be like, shit, I know his name. Boris Becker. Boris Becker. That'll do. German guy. Yeah. yeah he died recently. Oh, yeah, I know. Summer. So, rest in peace. I think his son plays tennis professionally, though. Okay. Yeah, I forgot his name. but yeah. Or his daughter, Doris Becker. <laughs> Doris Becker. <laughs> or his son, Norris Becker. <laughs> Milos Becker. <laughs> Milos Becker. <laughs> With more talent. Um, no, but I think probably his... I reckon he probably had an uncle or something, you know, in the 70s or 80s who played pro tennis, and I think that was probably his shop. He might have immigrated to America, or maybe Milos came as well, and then Milos maybe inherited the store. Like, maybe the relative wanted to retire and then Milos took it over and I think Milos never really had the coordination to be a, an actual tennis player mm. and I think he wants to impress his wife as well of course and I think he wants to show that he owns it, it's weird if you own a tennis shop or you run it that you and you're not good at tennis yeah it's kind of it's a bit of a double standard you know what I mean yeah and even Jerry feels miffed when he's like well you recommended this racket to me but you can't even <laughs> he says to Elaine he was better off playing with a log yeah, he'd do just as well. I'm going to slightly push back on that. I don't think it's weird if you are not good at tennis and you own a tennis shop, but if you hide the fact that you're not good at tennis. Yeah, that's that's right, the contradiction. Right. Yes. Like, I used to work for a uh, cafe uh, and it prided itself. This was years ago in Brisbane. It prided itself on being really good coffee. Yeah. But the cafe owner, she didn't care about cafes and she didn't even drink coffee. Right. But she didn't claim to be something she wasn't no, and that that's, was fine no, I think so, that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a good so, point, so if Milos yeah, yeah, was yeah. open and he's just like look I like tennis but I'm shit at it but I like the store and I like you know I like being around tennis but I'm shit at tennis that's perfectly fine or maybe if he but, made a white lie and said oh, I had an injury 10 years ago and I can't play whatever he could have just yeah, made as long as he's not hiding yeah. his lack of skill that's, <laughs> that's <laughs> where be that's, hiding it wouldn't it yeah, yeah that's where yeah. that's where Jerry feels a bit uh, cut. If he was, just, if he knew that Milos was bad at tennis, you can still know a lot about tennis records without being good at tennis. I think it's that that deception. That's yeah. the that's the part that pisses Jerry off. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, no, no, but I understand what you mean. I just wanted to make that distinction. Yeah, I think that's very true. No, I have to I have to agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, but yeah, I really loved his character. I, I just, he's just so enjoyable. I wish funny. there was more screen time of him. Does he? I can't remember whether he mentions it or whether um, Jerry mentions it explicitly. Does he own the tennis shop? Um, or is he just the manager? I was under the impression he was the manager. Okay. But my theory was he ran it, like he owned yeah. it as well. But he, I think he didn't open up the tennis shop. Yep. Or, no, or maybe he either inherited it from like his relative who was a pro tennis player or whatever. Or maybe he owned the tennis shop or maybe he did it some way to kind of make up for his lack of talent. Yeah. I think he loves watching tennis. He probably okay. enjoys Wimbledon and I bet you he would have gone to the US Open, which is in New York. Mm. I think in New York. Flushing Meadows sure. in Flushing New York. Flushing Meadows, yeah. yeah. Uh, he probably watches tennis religiously and I think he wants to enjoy tennis, but I think he just does whether he has like a learning difficulty or he just has poor dexterity hand-eye or hand-eye coordination or he's got some kind of learning difficulty or something. I'm not sure. Um, I just think he really has a lot of trouble and I think he really wants to play tennis, but he's just useless. Yeah. I think he just kind of has the shop to compensate for it. Okay. You know? Yep. But you're right. You don't have to play tennis to have knowledge of it. Maybe no. he does have the knowledge of restringing rackets or recommending a good racket. Yeah. Or, you know, you, you, you think he stands behind the products he sells. Yep. He just can't 
demonstrate that. But he just lets know? people. He he leads people to believe, or he doesn't. He doesn't correct people's assumption that well, he must be a good tennis player. That's right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, if he was just like, I'm shit at tennis, but I still know that this tennis racket's yeah. awesome. That's, that's perfectly like, fine. Like, imagine you went to a music shop, yeah. and you wanted to pick out a guitar, mm. and you went to one of the staff, and you're like, oh, um, you're showing guitars. Yeah. And then he tried playing, but he can only play like one chord. Yeah. Or he can't strum or pick and. Or it's out of tune or something, you know. You'd yeah. be a bit. You'd be like, uh, oh, I'd be a bit confused, but yeah. I wouldn't feel deceived. No, you wouldn't feel deceived. But if he if he led me to believe like. that he was yeah. an amazing guitar player, yeah. and then I found out that he was crap, and he's just playing the G chord, like, yeah, and that's it. It's like, uh, okay, yeah, cool. But if he was like, <laughs> I know a lot about guitars. I love guitars. I love working at this shop. Yeah, yeah. and you know, I, but I don't play guitar or I suck at guitar. That's that's fine. Fair enough. Like I've got a friend who lives in Brisbane. He is. A self-taught luthier, like a guitar maker. Oh right, um, right luthier, right. luthier. Oh, is that what they call it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's like an old name for like oh, the lute. The lute is like an old-style guitar. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there That's you probably go. where it comes from. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, I don't think it's a term used much these days. Much like a cobbler for shoes. Like not many people are cobblers. No, no. But it's still the general term used for people who resole or make shoes or whatever. Mm. Um, and he has his own business where he imports rare guitars from Japan and sells them. Right. Um, he knows he's a total gear nerd. Like he can build pedals and guitars. Like he knows everything about everything about everything about he just guitars. Can't play him. No, he's okay, but he's pretty average. Yeah, right. Like, and he's self admittedly quite average. But he doesn't hide it. No, that's no, the thing. That's he the doesn't. Thing. He doesn't yeah. pretend he's Eddie Van Halen. You know what I mean? Milosh, that's, yeah. that's the difference. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So Milosh doesn't pretend he's Andre Agassi or no. Pete Sampras. You know, at well, the time. No. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I still understand why Jerry's a bit. You know, a bit sort of annoyed. Yeah. You know, he feels like he was. Uh, you know, there was a few false pretenses there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I got to say, with Jerry, he's actually pretty good at tennis. Yeah. If you see his serve, yeah. he serves it like overarm, like normal, and it just blasts past Milos. It's like, well, shit, Jerry, not Jerry, bad. Jerry's a pretty athletic guy. He is, yeah. You know, yeah. even though he likes the comforts of home and he doesn't really put a lot of effort into he plays softball yeah. he likes baseball yeah. he likes tennis he plays tennis you know like he's a pretty athletic uh, active sort of guy and you mentioned in Seinfeld News a couple of weeks ago that Jerry oh, uh, Jerry did the first pitch on Seinfeld yeah. Day and he said his pitch was actually pretty good it went yeah. straight into the glove yeah like so, it, it wasn't like fire like a you know it wasn't a you know, for a 65 year old man pretty damn good not bad not yeah, bad not yeah bad. pretty accurate pretty accurate yes Um. yeah so it to me, it makes perfect sense that, uh, you know, Jerry's pretty good at tennis as well. He's, he probably played a lot of sports in school and college and, yeah. you know, he likes keeping active and he likes, uh, you know, he, he likes sports as a as a observer. You're talking about fictional Jerry? Yeah. Yeah. Or both. Or both, yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah, but with Milos, I guess this will lead on to his relationship with Patty, but he, Milos wants approval from his wife. Yeah. Why do you think he's just really yearning for her approval? Do you think he's didn't get much approval in, in childhood or I don't know he just wasn't loved much or what, what do you think it is I don't know I think um, in a lot of uh, and I'm speaking on behalf of someone who's told me that this is a thing in Russia and it's probably an attitude that's still relevant in some countries former Soviet Union countries where masculinity is very uh, a very attractive thing to women right? and masculinity is represented by uh, you know, financial um, independence, I guess, or your ability to earn, um, and also being good at stuff, like just dominating at things. So I, I'm going to guess that Patty's uh, idea of what Milos should be as a man yeah. is undermined or threatened when it's revealed that he's actually really crap at tennis. I think I think she just, you know, she grew up in a culture where men are good at things, men are in control, men win, mm-hmm. men dominate, yep. men have stuff. You know, that sort of, that version of masculinity. Um, and when she sees that he's actually really terrible at something that he claims to be awesome at, yeah. I think that 
diminishes his masculinity in her eyes. So okay, I think I think enough. it's more of just a a. Uh, so he's not like conforming a, a, to like conventional values. Uh, well, Serbian values or values. It's not that it, it's not that he he's not intentionally going against values. Yeah, he just happens to be really bad at something. Yeah, and not just bad as in average, but like fucking terrible. Mm. And that just makes him less attractive to to Patty. You know, it's not he's not intentionally going against against values. Right, but he the reality doesn't match her idea of what he should be. What he should be. His yeah. skills don't match up with what she thinks he should be able to do. Yeah. You know, and just that gap is where the unattraction comes in, I guess. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, and I think, um, yeah. So, that, mm. yeah, I mean, that that would... And my, my grandfather's Serbian, so I'm a quarter Serbian by oh, blood. Right, right. And, you know, my grandfather's not like some old-school hyper-male dude, but, you know, from bits and pieces I know about Serbian culture through him, it's kind of... You know, I can't speak for it now, no. but in the in the time that he grew up, you know, in the 1920s, 1930s, 1940s, yeah, uh, you know, very traditional sort of male and female roles kind of plays into that as well. I yeah, think. yeah. So I, that's what I think uh, causes her uh, diminishment of attraction. Yeah, okay, and loss of respect. Fair enough. Well, I guess one more thing before we do talk about Patty. I mean, with Milos, he's we're kind of already are talking about Patty. Well, we are a bit, yeah, yeah. But just one more thing I want to say about Milos is. Uh, Milos, you know, asked Jerry to, you know, let him win. Yeah. And, you know, you think, like, Milos seems really grateful and he said, oh, we'll get you a free membership, one-year membership, and then he reneges on it because he says he can't do it. Yep. Um, but, you know, then I, I he tries would... to offer his wife to him and stuff. And But then uh, I noticed that Milos, I, I, like, he's such a prick to Jerry on the court. Mm. Like, he, I think, like you mentioned, because he doesn't, because Patty doesn't see him as what he should be. Yeah. I think Milos tries to be all boastful, not to really insult Jerry, but probably to show Patty that he's more of a man. Yeah. You know, that's all it is. But even Jerry says, I want to be a man too. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Jerry's like, I'll let you be a man, but not at the expense of my masculinity. Not, not, not my masculinity. That's right. So it's a bit of a dick measuring contest. But you notice how Milos, when he's boasting, he boasts towards Patty, and then Patty's like smiling. And that's what I mean. She's trying yeah. to, he's trying to regain... Yeah. Uh, her confidence in him as a man. And I think he goes a bit overboard. For sure. And I think in the fact that he usually gets smoked in tennis matches, he gets destroyed, I think the fact that even though Jerry's letting him win, I think Milos feels a sense of victory. Yeah. He's like, wow, I'm actually beating... Like, even though he's letting me win, I'm yeah, actually... Yeah, it's a straw feeling, man victory. It's right. But he still, yeah. he still is... Uh, yeah, he's still feeling that fake victory. And it kind of gets to his head. For sure. You know, he does, yeah. yeah so. No, he does act like a dick. He does, yeah. He, yeah, he's really, he, he sort of chops and changes a lot where he's like really nice and really apologetic mm. to Jerry and he's like, look, I know I did the wrong thing. What can I do? Like, tell me what I can do to, to fix this. Like, genuinely and sincerely apologetic for kind of deceiving him. And then he, yeah, goes full 180 and just sort of, yeah, acts like a bit of a cock. Acts like a prick, yeah, yeah. definitely. Anyway, that's Milos. I absolutely loved him. Yeah, he's and, cool. Uh, I, I've got a feeling he'll appear in uh, a list that we'll talk about a bit later. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> anyway, let's. We were talking about Patty, but let's uh, explore her a bit more. Yep. Uh, she's played by Bosnian American actress Ivana Milechevic. Uh, she's in films such as Casino Royale, A Paycheck, and Just Like Heaven. Uh, she's also been in TV shows including Gotham and most recently The One Hundred. Nice. Yes. So uh, Patty. Yes. So we did mention that uh, about her relationship with Milos. Um, obviously, very willing to, you know get with Jerry for the sake of her husband, mm. you know, to try and, uh, you know, mend Milos and Jerry's relationship. Yeah. You know, at first, she's pretty confident to do it, but then as she's, as the deed is almost about to get ready, you know, she backs out, so yep. to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And she gets really upset because she can't cheat on her husband. Yeah. See, I was a bit confused because Patty, as as soon as Jerry finds out and as soon as it's sort of a bit more common knowledge that Milos is actually a terrible tennis player, mm. Patty reacts to that and sort of more or less says, look, I don't really 
you know, I, I don't see him as a man anymore. Like yeah. she loses a lot of respect for him very quickly. But, you know, between when Jerry flirts with her at the tennis store and then uh, she's on the street, you know, Milosh obviously thinks, oh, maybe I could offer my wife to Jerry because he thinks she's attractive. Yeah, that's right. Because he, you know, Jerry's implying that she's good looking. Yeah. In the store. Yeah. So that to me suggests that Patty didn't know that Milosh was a terrible tennis player prior to Jerry knowing. Yeah, but yeah. the fact that she's flirting with Jerry very openly and very obviously in front of Milosh would suggest that maybe she was part of the plan before. It it just... Does, does that make sense? Mm, so, what do you mean she was part of the plan? So, so the plan is, is that Milosh uh, offers Patty to Jerry to kind of make up for um, uh, Jerry feeling deceived. Yes. Right? Yes. And that relies on the fact that Patty didn't know that Milosh was a terrible tennis player before yeah. he suggested that as the plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that would lead me to think that why would she openly flirt with another man in front of her husband mm-hmm. prior to her knowing that he was a terrible... prior to that plan being proposed to her? Right, okay. But do you know what I mean? It just doesn't line up in yeah. terms of... I don't know. It just... Maybe maybe she's just a flirty person anyway. Maybe she just is. She's just a flirtatious, outgoing person. Yeah. Nothing at all. Yeah, but yeah. I, I was just thinking if she was flirting with Jerry to sort of like GM up a bit to yep. eventually fuck him, that doesn't line up with the idea of Milosh telling her that, oh, look, babe, I'm actually a terrible tennis player mm. and now my reputation is threatened. Can you go fuck this other dude to like save everyone? Yeah, yeah. And she would be like, okay, well, I'll go along with it because you're my husband and yeah. I support you. That's why at first, you know, she's just doing it, but then suddenly when the moment's about to yeah. happen, then she just, she's like, I guess oh, it's no, just I a co- it's just yeah. a co- I guess it's just a coincidence that she's flirting with Jerry anyway, yeah. and then the next step is she just turns up in front of his apartment yeah. and says, let's go fuck. Yeah. It, yeah, it, just, it, it was just a bit of a misalignment in terms of her behavior and what Milos expects of her yeah. and what Jerry sort of gets out of it, but I think it's just a coincidence. Probably just a I think, yeah, yeah, if Milos was a good tennis player and he didn't have to offer his wife to Jerry, yeah. I think she still would have flirted with him. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, do, yeah. do you understand what I'm trying to say? Uh, I, I, I'm kind of getting it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's hard to articulate, but her flirting prior to going to fuck Jerry yeah. doesn't make sense because my assumption is, is that she doesn't know that Milos is actually terrible at tennis until... No, no. until Jerry knows. Until you know, Jerry she, knows. She yeah. finds out through Jerry. Jerry. Through yeah. Jerry. That's right. You know, so that yeah. Anyway, I'll stop I'll stop going around in circles. Uh, but I, okay. I, I kind of I kinda of get what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it makes sense. Yeah, I probably should have prepared my notes a bit better <laughs> to explain it in a more clear way. Oh, that's all right. But I'm yeah. I'm hoping, yeah, maybe some of you listeners out there can understand <laughs> can, can pick can up put, what I'm trying to put can down. Put it all together. No, but I guess we can just say that Patty is already flirtatious yeah, anyway. I so think so. It's just her yeah. yeah, just kind of No, but I I I think it's more about the writing as well. I think you know, the idea is you don't know that Milos and Patty are married until yep. she says, my husband. Yeah. You know, so the idea is Patty's just a stranger, you yep. know, that walks in and then yep. Jerry flirts and you think, oh, Jerry's going to hook up with Patty and yep. Patty's pretty keen. Oh, yeah, cool. And yep. then suddenly she backs out and mm. then she gets upset and then he goes, what's wrong? Because it's Milos, my husband. Yeah. I think that's just part of the writing, mm. probably more than anything. But do you, okay, so... I'll try and explain what I by asking you some questions. I'll try and because I, I want to make sure my point is clear. Make a good because I think yeah yeah the uh, the explanation. I think we've off. confused our listeners enough. Probably as it is. that's why I want to clarify. So, do you think that Patty knew that Milos was terrible at tennis before Jerry found out? Because mm. she only loses respect for him when she finds out. Like like you know in the next uh, later on in the episode, she loses respect for him as a man when she finds out he was a terrible tennis player. But how would he have hidden it from his wife? That's that's that's, a, that's another issue entirely. That's another issue entirely. Yeah. Well, I guess so. So do you think she knew beforehand? Cuz if she knew beforehand, mm, man. Yeah, I I'm just thinking I'm just 
my point is, is that her flirting yeah. doesn't line up with the sequence of events in terms of when she and Jerry find out that Milosh is a terrible tennis player. Yeah. If we're assuming... It's a bit of a continuity issue, isn't it? Yeah. Does that, do, do you understand what uh, I'm trying to I say? Get, I get it. Look, I... It doesn't... Yeah. It doesn't... Okay. Look, look I guess if I had to answer that question, I'd probably say Patty didn't know. Okay. I think Milos probably used every excuse under the sun not to see him play tennis. Yep. Yeah. And okay. Let's we'll just go by that. Let's say yep. for some reason, and then. So if Patty didn't know, okay, if it, none of this matters, if yeah. we're assuming that Patty is just a flirty woman anyway, yeah, just yeah. flirting with Jerry, whether Milosh was there or not. Yeah. And she didn't know that Milosh was going to say, go fuck Jerry to make up for my mm. uh, inability yep. to play tennis. If we put that aside and assume that she was flirting with Jerry mm. in preparation to then meet him to fuck him, yeah. you know, that was like the, the, the sort of initiating of that sequence of events. Yes then you've got to assume that she didn't know, that she knew that Milosh was a terrible tennis player and they've discussed this plan prior. Oh, okay. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, yeah. she starts flirting with him before Jerry confronts Milosh. So at that point, that's when Milosh finds out that Jerry knows he's a bad tennis player. Yeah. But Patty is flirting with Jerry in line with that greater plan before... Okay, all before, right. Before Jerry... Well, before na- Milosh yes. finds out that Jerry knows. Yeah. Well, now you mention it, I think Patty knows. And mm-hmm. I think Patty's probably worried because... Jerry's a regular, like a customer. Yep. He's she's probably worried that word will get out. Yep. And Jerry will tell this person who. T- and plus, Jerry's semi-famous by that point. Yep. Maybe he'll do like a stand-up joke about Milosh. Right. He's like, oh, I went to the tennis store and I got bought a tennis racket and yep. my tennis guy's terrible. You yep. know, blah blah blah. And then Milosh will be like, shit. Yep. The word's gotten out about me. D- am I? Does yeah, is my I point am, becoming yeah, more clear okay, now? Yeah. It took me a while to. Yeah. It's so dense. Um. But no, I, I get it now. No, I think. Yeah, I think that's probably what it is. I think so. Yeah, I think okay. so, she, so. Patty so, Patty had prior knowledge that Milosh couldn't play. Yeah, couldn't hit the side of a barn. But yeah. again, my the only other unreconciled thing in my head is that when Milosh <laughs> expresses her loss of respect, yeah, the way she talks about it makes you believe that she only found out when Jerry found out because it's such a sudden. I don't. I don't think he's a man anymore. Or maybe, or maybe Milosh is just blowing it out of proportion. Okay. Like maybe Patty is a bit annoyed, but not to the point where right. You know, she thinks, "Oh, you're not a man." Yeah. Maybe it's just all in Milosh's mind. Okay. Maybe she thinks like Milosh is just overblowing things. He's yep. just catastrophizing the whole situation. Yeah. That's probably what it is. Okay. No, look, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It was just. It was just. <laughs> oh, wow, that was really. De- yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Does that does that make sense now? Do you understand? I, I understand. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Cool. Okay. I'm cool. glad we got there. I'm glad we and, got there. And if you're still listening to us, thank you for being patient with my very very weird uh, you know, <laughs> unpacking of a situation that wasn't even much of a situation. Well, at all. well, luckily we timestamp every secondary character. Yeah. So if you've skipped to to the next secondary character, that's fine. Yeah. I reckon we should take a, a quick break. Uh, we'll come back. We'll talk about Riley. Uh, Shell Buck and Vincent and uh, we'll find out where the comeback sits in our episodes of all time yep. and if any of the secondaries wink wink make our top 20 jeez <laughs> so much talking this week we'll be back too good another game for Milosh <laughs> you're on fire today hey Patty look at this guy he's awful <laughs> he's not a man this chair he's not even married like I am hey uh, Milosh I don't mind rolling over here, but could you lighten up on the not a man stuff? Hey, everybody, look! The little chicken girl wants me to ease up. He can't handle it. He cries like a woman. <laughs> Welcome back. We just crapped on, or I just crapped on a lot about Patty, but oh, uh, we'll, keep, we'll keep the last section of this week's episode of uh, our podcast. 
we are doing the comeback and we'll keep this last section uh, a bit more succinct. Yes. Let's talk about Riley, the, uh, the, 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 the. George's adversary. That's right. From the Yankees and then Firestone. Thank you. Uh, that's okay. Played by Joel Pollard. I'll need you to rein me in. I'll be like, so when Riley says this thing, do you think he knew about this other thing and then this thing other happened and you're just like, just do you shut think up. he knew that the shrimp was coming to Firestone? <laughs> yeah. Do you know. think, do you think he ordered the shrimp? Yeah. Do you think was he had fresh shrimp? Do you or think he had prior knowledge of the shrimp? <laughs> do you think he had, do you think he, do you think he spied George scarfing down shrimp prior and is like, I'm going to set this situation up so George scarfs down shrimp Goodness so gracious. I can insult him yeah. just to get one up on him so that I can leave with my head held high. Do you think that that's no, what happened? I don't think that's what happened. But anyway, <laughs> Riley was played by Joel Polis, uh, known for appearing in guest roles on TV, uh, including shows such as Northern Exposure, one that you like, Steve. Love that show. A CSI Miami, Chicago Hope, and Castle. Uh, he was also in the 1982 film The Thing. Was he in The Castle? Yes. <laughs> Tell him he's dreaming. No, Actually, not Milosh would make... Um, uh, he play Eric Banner's character. No, 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 no. You know the neighbour? The, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah what yeah, is yeah. it with wogs and fucking mills? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember that guy's name. Uh, anyway, but, yes, yeah. yes, yes. He, he'd be good, the, the actor who played Mills. <laughs> anyway, we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves. Riley, yeah, I think he's a very quick-witted guy. I think he probably worked his way up the ladder because of his intelligence and his uh, quick wit. Mm. And I think he's got a good... Um, sense of humour and I think he's really good with people I think he's really engaging and um, it's probably why he's where he is on the board yep originally the Yankees and then moved to Ohio uh, Firestone reason why I think he got the job at Firestone I think he's originally from Ohio him and his wife or maybe his wife was from Ohio and they have family there uh, I think maybe um, you know the wife fell into a coma uh, somehow in Ohio. I don't know why. Maybe he moved them back there to be close to the family while she's uh, in a coma. Maybe, yeah, I think so. Or maybe she, maybe the wife was travelling back to Ohio and ex- like suffered the coma. Maybe had a heart attack or a stroke or something really serious that led to an accident or something. And, uh, yeah, and then Riley probably thought, geez, I've got to get close to my wife and mm. my family and I'll move to Ohio and get a job. Okay. I think... His wife's coma caused him to go to Ohio. Yeah, for and whatever I, reason. And I think, yeah, she maybe he was from Ohio. Maybe they met in Akron and they married and moved to New York or something. And like I said, she was probably in Ohio at the time when it happened. And he's like, shit, she's in a hospital in Ohio. I better go stay with her to be close by her side. Say Ohio once more. Ohio. <laughs> yes. He said Ohio like nine times. Nice. <laughs> That's all right. And if you're from Ohio... Akron or wherever. Hey, a higher to you. A higher. <laughs> Ohio. Yes. Um, Am so- I hired for this job? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Ohio- Get out of my office. Ohio, no. Um, yes, I think that's what happened. I think yep. Riley moved there for family reasons. He's definitely like the office jock, the office alpha. He is, isn't he? Yeah. He's like a bit of a bully, yep. but uh, he. He has it in for George. He has it in for George. Um, I. I don't know. He just reminded me of so many characters like. Say like Biff in Back to the Future. Oh yeah, maybe a bit less violent and a bit. Oh less yeah, he's not as sadistic. No, no, but just sort of like the alpha dog, the witty one. Yeah, you know the one that everyone wants to be like. That's right. Just like the cool, witty, sharp. You know, like I'm going to bully you and insult you and make you feel this big. Mm-hmm. Uh, that big being very small. Yeah, but he does it in such a way that's not like. Like you said, sadistic and fucked up. No, no, no. You know, he just—he's just like, oh, come on, man! Like, it's just a joke. It's like, just a joke. Yeah, hard enough. I think—I yeah, yeah. think he's a bit mean. He is, and he yeah. probably gets off on sort of making people feel like shit. Yeah, but 
people don't see him as a bully. I think because he's like witty and cool and charming, and people want to be him. Yeah, and be around him, and that's probably yeah. why he went up to the board. Yeah, and and he goes on the board in Firestone. Yeah, he's in board meetings. So that's yeah. pretty good. Like yeah. he doesn't have to work his way up there. No, you know? it's crazy. Nope, he's proved himself really well in his career. That's it. And uh, yeah. Do you have anything else about Riley? No, no. But what about uh, Vincent? Oh, okay. You're just straight into Vincent. Okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't have anything about him, so okay. Why not? All right, all good. Uh, Vincent, uh, played by actor, writer, and producer Danny Strong, uh, he's won Emmys for his writing and production on the 2012 TV movie Game Change about Sarah Palin. Uh, he's written the screenplay for The Hunger Games: Mockingjay Parts One and Two, and he's created and wrote and directed for the show Empire, the one where that dude. Uh, um, you, Jussie Smollett, Smollett, you know that that oh, guy. Yeah, 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 yeah he was in Empire. Fake the thing. Yeah, that's right. Yep. So that's Empire. Uh, um, as an actor, he, that's where he's from. Um, as an actor, he's played in TV. He's actually shows. from Mighty Ducks and Mighty Ducks Two. Is he? Jussie Smollett is in Mighty Ducks and Mighty Ducks. Too. Oh, Jussie, does he play one of the kids? Yeah, he's uh, he's the he's like the token '90s African American kid. Oh, that's you him. Know, they're like, oh, we have better have one black actor in there to make sure representation's ticked off. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and he's like the he's like a real like smart ass kind of oh, you know he's got like an attitude and stuff. I gotta go back and watch it. Yeah, Jesus. you know in Mighty Ducks too how they go to LA, they're competing yeah. in the I think the, the, I think the junior, World Cup or the something. Junior Winter Olympics. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and then they find that other like street hockey player that like chubbier african-american kid who does oh, the knuckle puck it's knuckle puck time, knuckle puck time. yeah because yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's like the other like smart ass kind of like witty but he's more like the street kind of la yeah yeah whereas kind of justice yeah, yeah. character him and him, him and uh the the knuckle puck kid have like a you know a bond have, no they actually have like a bit of at oh, first a there's a bit, bit of a riff. Bit, bit of tension because yeah, 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 yeah. he's like hang on i'm the I'm like the you know the smartass like witty black kid, and now there's another smartass witty black kid. Like this can't be. Yeah. And then they you know they bond and it's all good. And they, <laughs> yeah. they you know they beat Iceland yeah. and it's all good. and they win the World Cup. Yeah. Um, I know Norway, Iceland, one of the two. Oh no, it was Iceland. Was um, it? Yeah. Iceland, yeah. And um, Danny, um, he <laughs> has created and wrote and produced on all those things. Uh, but as an actor, he's played in TV shows such as Buffy, The Vampire Slayer, Gilmore Girls, Mad Men, and Billions. Uh, Vincent, he was uh, on the phone. He was actually voiced as in an uncredited role by Robbie Benson. Okay. So yes, played by and and voiced by two different people. Yeah, Vincent, um, very mature for his age. I think he really, um, I think he's not really smart with the girls. I think he probably gets all of those kind of flirtatious comments and stuff from movies. Mm. I think because he, he's a huge cinephile, obviously he works at the video store as well, and uh, I think he really enjoys all the art house independent films, really like out there left field kind of movies. Um, and I think he uses what he learns in those movies to try and charm Elaine. I think so, yeah. I think he's just an absolute nerd. Yeah, I think he's a nerd, and then he's not used to girls or women flirting with him or paying any attention to him. Uh, but when he, maybe one time, uh, you know, like maybe he was talking about films or whatever, and then he received his first ever, you know, expressed interest from a woman, and he's like, oh, you know, he was maybe a bit shocked or a bit like, ah. Mm. Oh. Mm. And because he's like a, you know, nerdier intellectual type, maybe he realized, hang on, I can, maybe I can use this to my advantage and like, you know, use this as a, as a, as a way to be attractive to women. You yeah. Know, and he sort yeah. of set up this scheme where he comes across as a, a, you know, anonymous video store clerk, but he's yeah. actually just a 15 year old kid, <laughs> um, you know, at home. I, does he actually work at the video shop? I, no, I think he works at. Oh, okay, store. yeah, yeah. No, no, no. He he works he does. there. He does. Yeah, I I think. Oh he, no, he's not pretending. He's not masquerading. Because yeah. how does he get Elaine's records? That's true. He'd have to get them off the computer. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, I didn't think about that. Uh, yeah, I, Vincent I, was played by Patton Oswalt. Yeah, he's Vincent. Uh, <laughs> that's what it is. No. Uh, yeah, but I think he he accidentally received flirtatious attention at one point, and then he 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 sets it up so that 
you know, he gets as much as possible. Yeah. I think he's a bit of an opportunist when it comes to that. Absolutely. And I don't think he gets many people. Was I, I'd imagine Champagne Video was probably like Blockbuster. It's like mm. a mainstream video store. Yeah. It's not an art house indie. Everyone goes there to. Yeah, everyone goes there to get like. Weekend of Bernie's 2. Yeah, or Dumb and Dumber. Or, Hot you Shots know, like, 2. Yeah, or yeah, Hot Shots. Or Mighty part, Ducks 1 and 2. Yeah, that's right. Part, Hot Shots Part 2. Part 2. Um, yeah, and I don't think many people probably appreciate his art house yeah. films. So yep. Elaine tries it and, uh, yeah, he finds out someone's picked one of Vincent's picks instead of a gene pick and mm. uh, he, he loves it and he, he sees that it's a woman yep. you know probably knows the date of birth and where she lives and stuff and got her address and she's like I'll give it a crack I'll flirt future uh, future future creep future serial killer right yep. there and then uh, 20 years later he gets a job at a stationery store <laughs> oh yeah and uses that to go on dates with women <laughs> like the big salad last week <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah that's all I really had about Vincent do you have anything more nah let's okay. talk lastly about uh, Shell Buck uh, he's played by writer lawyer actor and game show host Ben Stein uh, he hosted the game show Win Ben Stein's Money from 1997 to 2002 uh, he's appeared in films such as The Mask he played um, Jim Carrey's character's shrink Okay. He's the one where he says, we all wear masks. Oh, yeah. He's that guy. I haven't seen that film in a long time. Yes. And he was also in Ferris Bueller's Day Off as uh, one of Ferris's teachers. Uh, He's also appeared as a commentator for CBS News Sunday Morning. Uh, He was a speechwriter for former U.S. presidents Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford. There you go. So quite an illustrious career. Yeah. For uh, for old uh, Benny Boy. Uh, Yeah, Shellbuck, just a generic Jewish lawyer, just a generic guy, you know. Pretty boring. Pretty boring. Seems like pretty humorless yeah i imagine he goes home and you know i don't know i imagine his house is very orderly yeah and he's very boring and very like un unpredict uh i imagine his life is very uh predictable yeah like everything is orderly mm-hmm. um you know everything is in its place yeah he doesn't like chaos or disorder no he doesn't um i think he's like a, a small c conservative you oh, know, in, ter- I, I in think, terms of you know yeah. like he's, he's quite a conservative person not politically but oh, just personally like I think he's just yeah. quite uptight because I've read that Ben Stein is actually a conservative commentator well, like, as in capital he, C yeah that yeah, would yeah, make yeah. sense if he wrote speeches for um, was it Nixon Richard and, Nixon and Gerald Ford Gerald Ford yeah I'm President Gerald Ford. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I think he's only like I'm not a crook. Uh, I am not a crook. I'm not a crook. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I think he. Um, uh, you know, tennis is his one like outlet, maybe. Yeah, you know, probably. where he just sort of burns a bit of energy because mm-hmm. you know, sitting at a desk all day looking at dry legal documents would be pretty fucking boring, and you yeah. probably get a bit of frustration. I think he's very thorough, though. You know, he yeah, does. He, he goes is. through like every hypothetical scenario about Kramer yeah. being in a coma. I've got the I've got the word thorough in my notes. Thorough, yeah. How you the, do? You've got right. right there. Yes, yes, yes. Z- yes, and he zings at George again. Oh, that was the wrong note. Oh, that was that the was, wrong note. That I was, was actually say, for, that's Riley. Uh, for Riley. Yeah, <laughs> you put zing. I was like, I don't think you ever talked to George. No, 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 no he is. Um, but yeah, no, I think he's very orderly. He's he. I think he'd be a really good lawyer, like, to represent yep. you. I think, like, he'd just go through every possible scenario, even if it took him, like, three hours to go through everything. Yep. It's like, what do we do here? What do we do here? What do we do here? I reckon, yeah. He wants rec- to cover. He doesn't want any... He doesn't... He wants to close any loopholes. He doesn't yep. want anything exposed. No surprises. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think he would be the sort of lawyer that uh, would be... Would take a long time. Yes. And, you know, would probably cause his clients a bit of frustration. Like, why the fuck... You know, I contacted this lawyer two weeks ago. Why hasn't he gotten back to me? Yeah. But, you know, when he does say, well, this is our legal argument, it's Water, it's airtight, <laughs> you know, like you said, because he goes through, he, he, he leaves no stone unturned mm. and he goes through every single situation and everything, every single scenario. 
um, in uh, yeah in detail. And I reckon he is a pretty high priced lawyer as well. I think so too. And we have hypothesized. You're probably wondering how can Kramer afford him? Yeah. We have hypothesized in the past that Kramer probably inherited money from his father. He's independently wealthy. Yeah, I think his father was really rich, a yep. millionaire, and he probably Kramer was his only Cosmo was his only son, yep. or his only child, and he left him all his money. But Kramer's you know, lives pretty, you know, minimalistly. He doesn't. Yeah, like he's got to show some money in the bank. He's got some money. But he's in the still bank, like yeah. a slacker. Yeah, that's kind right. Of, you know, scab. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's how he can. And that makes sense. That's how he can afford to live in Manhattan. Yep. With no job. Yep. In his own apartment. Another popular fan sense. theory about uh, Kramer is that if uh, he wasn't the recipient of um, uh, a large inheritance, is that you know, occasionally one of his zany business schemes actually works out. Yeah. And he maybe and every time it does, they would be the sort of schemes that would pay out a lot of money. Yeah. So definitely. he'll get paid he'll get like a huge cash injection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just live very simply for, you know, two or three years <laughs> off that. So two or three seasons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and then yeah, and then yeah, he'll yeah. need another one just to top it up. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's a good theory. Too. Yeah, but yeah. either way, he's got enough money at that time to afford someone Shellback. like Shellback, yeah. Someone yeah. who can take time off to go to a tennis lesson. Yeah. It's not like he's strapped for cash. No. Shellback. He and, can and he can take three hours off you know, five, four hours off to go play tennis. For sure. You know I mean? And I don't think Shellback would have charged... Like, you know, if if um, if um Kramer engaged Shellback for a, you know, long, complicated legal case or something like that and it required Shellback and a bunch of other lawyers to, to build a case, uh, I think that would have been a lot more expensive to Shellback. But if you just get a... A living a, will. A living will notarized yeah. and, you know, sort of just confirmed, mm-hmm. it might, you know, it's probably expensive, but it's not... It's it's a small legal process compared to like a you know him representing him in court. Yeah, you'd have to go through the courts. Yeah, I don't yeah, think he's yeah. going to get a two hundred thousand dollar legal bill at the end of it. It's probably like, well, you know, I'll notarize it and uh, you know whatever they do, legalize it for you know a thousand bucks or something. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever it is. Uh, that's all I had about Shellback. That's all the secondary characters. So awesome. I reckon let's find out out of ninety five episodes we've done, Stephen. Where does the comeback sit in your? Things uh, in, <laughs> in my your episodes. Things. Yes. Uh, it sits at number fifty-three. Fifty-three. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I I liked Milosh like you. Yeah. I don't think I liked him as much as you, but mm. I did like him. Yeah. Uh, I uh, I the 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 main storyline, the 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 titular storyline of George's comeback. I understand that it's a classic George storyline, and the jerk story is again one of those sayings that's kind of been out. You know, it's ubiquitous. Like, yeah. 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 You know, if you whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I don't like it as much as kind of like the soup Nazi. I think because it's so common amongst Seinfeld fans and it's so oftenly quoted, I'm kind of a bit over it. Maybe a bit of overexposure. Okay, and sure. that makes me like it a bit less. All right. Um, and I think that's why I like the earlier episodes a lot because they're a bit more, you know, not as popular mm-hmm. or you know not sort of overquoted and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So a good episode. Um, probably a bit too convoluted. Yeah. Too many things going on. But, uh, yeah, not, but, not but, too terrible. But that's season eight and nine. They're so yeah, yeah, that's it. What about you? Number 18. Oh, wow. It's one of my favorite season eight episodes. I, it's one of my favorite later Seinfeld episodes. I really love the episode. I think all the plots are really great. Um, yeah, obviously George's jerk store whole thing is so well written. Yep. Really funny. And, you know, I love George. This is probably his most neurotic, his most angry he's been in in any episode, I reckon. I think this is probably his extreme, yep. you know, part. Um, yeah, uh, Milosh, I think, is incredible. Great character. Jerry, uh, Jerry's plot was really fun as well. Um, the whole Elaine Vincent thing was very well written. And also uh, Kramer's, even though there was a bit of continuity with the suicide in terms of comas and stuff, I think it was uh, Kramer's one was really fun. Fair enough. Uh, it was a really fun episode. really enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, I even before watching the episode again for this, uh, I remember the episode back to front. Mm. It was one of those episodes I've seen like 10 times, yep. 20 times. And I'm like, yep, I know exactly what happens. Yep. Yeah. So it's great. Fantastic. Okay. Um, Where does... 
Milos uh, Sit. Sit. So out of uh, my 20 secondaries, number seven, oh, wow. Milos. Yeah, he's one of my favourite one-off characters. Uh, I'll read my top ten. I haven't read my top ten for ages. So uh, my top ten secondaries are Aaron the Close Talker um, from our What's the Deal with the Talkers episode. Number nine's Newman. Number eight is Corinne from The Marine Biologist. Uh, number seven is Milos uh, from The Comeback. Number six is Bookman. Number five is Susan Ross. Four is The Soup Nazi. Three is Uncle Leo. Two is Frank Costanza, and my number one is George Steinbrenner, nice. as always. But yeah, Milos, man, he's just so, I don't know, I just love him. I just think he's fantastic. Fair enough. Yeah, he's great. He's not, like, in terms of his tennis talent, he's terrible, but in terms of his uh, character, I think he's great. I wish we saw him in another episode, Yeah, to be honest. Yeah, it would have been a welcome return. Or maybe in the finale or something. Yeah. You know, he, I told him to let me win, but then he started hitting the ball, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Just something so trivial and minuscule and that would like add to you know Jerry's woes in court yep <laughs> into the court falls woes into, great. into a different court into oh, oh, the oh. ball's in your court Stephen ah. um, and who gets eliminated from my top 20 uh, Mr. and Mrs. Armstrong from The Letter ah, which we did okay. ages ago yep so they're knocked out okay none of the characters appear in my uh, top 20 but uh, yeah an honourable mention to Milosh I did like him quite a bit indeed unfortunately no listener mail this week um, but I guess that's another episode it is yes my name is Ivan and I'm Stephen you have listened to, but I don't want to be a secondary character, our 114th episode of this podcast, and it's been a wonderful ride. Uh, next week, we are going to Season 7 and talking about The Secret Code, and boy, I'm uh, my throat's really sore. I think we need some water after yeah, this. Yeah, we've recorded uh, for nearly, what, two and a half hours? Yeah, so. thereabouts, yeah. <laughs> back to back, so it's been, uh, been been really fun. Thank you so much for listening. We do love the support we get. We love the emails, the messages, the tweets, the Facebook posts, whatever we get. Thank you very much as always. We do appreciate them and we do read everything we get. So if you want to contact us, bidwithaspodcast at gmail.com is our email address. Uh, you can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at B-I-D-W-B-A-S-C If you want to support us and help us get monies to put towards, you know, better equipment, you know, any kind of way we can improve on the podcast. If you want to donate some money, patreon.com forward slash bibblebask and you get some bonus goodies as well, Stephen. Yes. Ah, yes. Nice comeback. There. I'm still here. You're still here. Yes. So we will see you next week for The Secret Code and uh, you have a good one. Take care. Catch gotcha. up.